We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like the ball, like the pulses and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Just Steve Palazzolo here. No Sam Monson. He's on the road, but welcome into our Thursday show. It's a little bit later than usual because we have a very special guest. It is former Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman. He's going to join us here in just a few minutes. But like I said, Sam is out on the road. He's missing the next the next few shows. He's driving that E-type Jag across the country with his dad, and they are uh, they're doing it for charity. They're doing it to raise money. For men's health. So you can go check that out. Go check out at PFF underscore Sam. And his pinned tweet. You can go check it out. It's drivemenshealthforward.com as well. But go check out Sam's pinned tweet for more information as they drive across the country. You could follow their trip on TikTok. It's got its own TikTok, Monson Road Trip. So go follow that. I saw one of our, my old friends, Zach, was the first follower for Monson Road Trip. So go check it out as Sam drives across the country with his dad uh before we get to rick want to remind everybody that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is underdog fantasy their best ball mania tournament has 10 million dollars in total prize money and the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it there's no waivers no trades no in-season management underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year will win champion of best ball mania last year they drafted in june so there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. This is a steal. So what are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. The PFF NFL podcast is also brought to you by Cash App. Cash App is the easiest way to spend send and save your money you can send and request money from your friends when they owe you dinner drinks literally anything besides just sending money back and forth with cash app you can invest in stocks with as little as one dollar as well as buy sell and send bitcoin instantly cash app also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like cash app will laser print it and mail it to you all for free the card comes with free discounts at your favorite places called boosts so this is another steal here from the PFF NFL podcast. You sign up for Cash App today using the referral code TOUCHDOWN, which gives new users $15. That's promo code TOUCHDOWN for $15 free dollars. 
So, as always, when Sam's on the road here and away, I'm tempted to just do the whole show by myself. Just go full monologue style. But that's not what we're going to do because we've got uh, Rick Spielman coming up here. On Monday, Memorial Day, we'll have Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL. And then next Thursday, Trevor Sykema from PFF. He is probably the most positive person over at PFF. So we're going to get him over here to give some positive thoughts on all 32 NFL teams. Reasons for Optimism, a show that we did last year, but we figured we'll bring Trevor in to do that. We're also looking for more guests. We've got two more shows to fill without Sam. So send in your suggestions at PFF underscore Steve. Let me know who would you like to see on the show, either PFF or otherwise. But right now, let's get to Rick because uh, we pre-recorded this interview. It is a great discussion. Uh, Rick opens up about a whole bunch of stuff from team building, some of the decisions he's made with the Vikings, how much ownership is involved in those decisions, and then we talk a little bit about this year's draft. So hope you enjoy our discussion with Rick Spielman. All right, welcome in to our guest today. It is Rick Spielman, former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings. Rick, appreciate you joining us. No, thanks for having me on. It's a kind of quiet time of year. Uh, so this is great to sit and uh, keep some football talk going. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, some of the the most fun that we have here in the PFF NFL podcast is is team building in general, discussions about that, you know, free agent strategies, draft strategies, all that fun stuff. Definitely want to dive into that. Um, also want to dive into, you know, we had an interaction a few years back where you were kind of, I think you yelled at me, Rick, <laughs> about about our grades. You were you were trying to dive in and figure <laughs> out where the PFF grades were coming from, who was grading them and all that stuff. So just want to make, you know, we, well, we, we've gotten yeah, beyond that a, point. Th- there was a little rumor going around. Now I'll just tell you the product is second to none in the market is, is the, uh, and you PFF ultimate is the right, the sit, uh, name for this product because it is incredible how much work you can get done and how efficient you can do your work at. It was a huge part of when we were in Minnesota a huge part of our evaluation process and our whole engine kind of ran off based off what you guys do there. So plug for that uh, ultimate program that Much you appreciated. have. But the great part, that's something different because I knew, and, and maybe why I, I questioned it, I knew how long it took me to just to get through our tape. Uh, and it usually was a full day. And then I'm sitting there seeing grades coming in at like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I said, Boy, these guys got to have a hundred minions. I don't know where they have them stashed <laughs> in some basement somewhere, or, or somewhere overseas, or where the heck they have them. But how can they grade these guys that fast? Because I've been doing it for a long time, and I, I sure couldn't be as uh, efficient as a grader as, as you guys were. And then Coach Zim, as you all know, always just loved your grades when they came out. <laughs> of course, I mean I, I've joked. Look, if, if I was sitting in your seat, um, I would. I would question PFF too. You got to protect the players, right? You got to protect your guys. You can, um, and I, you know, we've run into those those interactions through the years. But yeah, we did we did have we have people all over the globe uh, grading all throughout the night and everything and making sure that well, the, I'd the like dating to meet some of these uh, guys you have locked up in a dungeon somewhere all <laughs> over the world and and what the hell they're seeing sometimes. But that's that's you know it's fascinating because whether you agree or disagree, just like. Uh, we belong to a couple other services too, just to get different grades. Uh, it created conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so the whole thing, and, and especially through my process, the more information I had to digest, the more where there were disagreements, let's say, or didn't see things the same way, that created conversation to hope that it made you better decisions as you went through the process. 
What, what, what does that process look like for you? You're, you're, because a, a big part of my, a lot of my questions are going to be like, you're sitting in that seat and you are the ultimate decision maker and you have all these people working for you, with you, um, evaluating NFL players, college players, uh, general team building decisions. What does that collaboration process look like? And particularly when you do have, whether it's outside services that, that disagree or you're about to make a move and, you know, what does that entire process look like before you go and make that final decision, whatever it might yeah. be? I think the biggest thing that I always believed in is collaboration in the office and to make sure before we made especially a decision uh, that could impact our roster, not only for the year that we're making that decision, but for years ahead as well. So uh, we, we, we had a lot of meetings and input from the, the scouts, whether it was the pro scouting department, uh, the draft or college scouts. I uh, had the coaches heavily involved in all the decision process. Um, so after we had done all our work, we'd have, depending on if it was free agent meetings or draft meetings or we're in season, we're potentially going to make a trade. We always came together as a group. And if there was a disagreement, then we would sit there and kind of group study it and see why we're not all on the same page. And ultimately, uh, I, I looked at all the, especially the major decisions, I was able to make sure I put in my evaluation. But when we try to come up with a decision, it was, what's the best decision for the Minnesota Vikings? Um, and so there was a lot of input from a lot of different areas. And I'm not talking about the ancillary areas with the medical, the psychological testing, the intelligence testing, uh, the analytics, uh, so on and so forth. Those were all tools to help us make better decisions. But when it came down to it, it was basically trying to get that building and everybody that was an evaluator in a part of that process uh, to come together so we made the best decision for the Minnesota Vikings. And then sometimes we just couldn't come up with an agreement and we would just let that player go or not not bring him in. So I always wanted to try to make sure that not only this, the pro side or the college side was buying in, uh, but the coaches were buying in as well. How often does it come up that what you would do kind of gets trumped by the consensus or vice versa? Do you do you end up trumping the consensus because you're, you're no, the guy? No, right? I think it's always been, like I said, no one's ever perfect in this business. Sure. No one's ever going to make uh, 100% all the, the right decisions. Um, but when you can come up with a consensus, and for the most part, 99% of the time, we were able to get everybody together on the same page. Uh, and then that includes after you have decided what direction you want to go, uh, then that's getting the ownership involved in the next phase. Hey, this is what we're thinking. Uh, this is the direction we want to go. We think this player can come in and help us. But then you have to bring in the financial piece of it as well. So if we do this, and let's say you're trying to sign a unrestricted free agent, and uh, you're looking at what the, that contract could potentially look like. Well, you have to know how that's going to impact your roster financially in, the, in, the, in that year, but also in the upcoming years as well, because you have to be able to do contracts where you're also giving yourself enough, lot more, uh, enough flexibility. So if you do have a player or two or three or four coming up in a, a year or two from now, do you still have the ability to decide those contracts, the extensions? Our 
whole philosophy when I was there is hopefully we drafted well enough that those are the guys that we wanted to give extensions to, and we gave a lot of extensions. I remember when I first got there from the Kevin Williams of the world to uh, E.J. Henderson and then, you know, Harry Smith, the Neil Hunter, um, uh, Barr, Kendricks. Uh, we, you know, the last deal we did major was Dalvin Cook and uh, Ryan O'Neill. So Brian O'Neill. So you always have to not only plan for this year and try to get the best team out there you possibly can, but what's the financial impact and how does it impact potentially keeping some of your guys you don't want to lose that you drafted and developed. So, so you kind of like workshopping those things. Hey, if we go sign this free agent, we know Hunter's coming up or we know Harrison Smith's coming up or whatever it might be. Therefore, you know, we have to, we have to plan, right? We have to know how much we have to spend for those guys coming up soon. We, we tried the cap plan two or three years out the best we could. Yeah. So not only the, the upcoming year, when you get into the off season, um, you're planning, but then if you do these contracts, uh, then what is it going to look like year two and year three? And you have player X, Y, and Z that you want to extend. Will we still be able to extend those guys if we do this contract? You mentioned ownership getting involved. How 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 much how how close is that, or how tight is the ownership involvement across organizations? I always say to our listeners, there's 32 different businesses out there, right? Each team is completely right. different. But as far as ownership goes, is this one of those like, hey, before every season, we're going to make the playoffs, or, we, or this is championship year? Like, what are what is the end game for ownership on a year to year basis, and then how involved are they in some of those? Uh, more granular decisions throughout the year every year is different but in the end game you're doing everything you can to win a super bowl why that's why we're in the business or why are you even working in a business and you know and sometimes there's more challenging years than others but you're ultimately that's what your ultimate goal is every year heading into it but the relationship with the ownership they are the ones that have to approve the financial piece and i can tell you the will family uh, were outstanding and never really held us up from ever doing a deal or ever signing a player or trading for a player because of the financial piece to it. They always supported us 100%. They were, they really let us do our jobs and all the people that were expert in those specific areas. And then we try, I try to keep them in the loop on what we were doing and what our planning and what our thought process was and how we're going to get our, our team better. So we would have a lot of discussions with them uh, on, on the whole process on the, the plan. You know, it started with us and I thought it was a great system is when we got done the season, you know, the most important thing a team has to do is evaluate your team. And you have to be honest on if those guys are starters you can win with. Those guys are starters, but they're not full-time starters. They can maybe get you through five or six games, but they're eventually going to uh, get exposed, especially versus top players that they may have to block. And guys that we just can't win with. And you have to, in my role, it was not getting you, – you have a relationship with the player – but you got to make sure you keep your distance as well because you have to make a lot of tough decisions where coaches are in those in the meetings with the players every day they're on the field with the players every day they they create such a relationship but sometimes it blinds them from whether that player's skills are starting to decline right or that player is getting older or we can't afford that player 
Um, so that was my job to kind of vet through that process as well. But then understanding free agency and where the strengths of free agency are, uh, is it in a receiver group? Is it in the offensive line group? Is it pass rushers, whatever it is. And then marrying that up to what the strengths of the draft were. So when we came out of that meetings and before I went in front of ownership, I had our team graded who we felt we could win with, not win with. And then we had the free agency board that we kind of mixed in and kind of wove in with our team. Hey, if we go sign this guy, he's better than this guy we currently have on our roster. And then we had the draft board and then we wove that in. So you can see as you kind of put all the pieces together, hey, let's not go after free agency for this position because I know it's a strength in the draft and it's going to be a cheaper option because they're going to be on rookie deals or, Hey, I remember a few years ago, there was not a real deep draft class and defensive tackle. So we knew we had to attack that in free agency. So that's what our plan was. So you're, you're, you're identifying the first thing you have to do is identify your team strengths and especially your needs and where you got to get better. And then you look at those other two components uh, to see where the strengths of those are. So you, that's, you know, where you're going to dab. And the third piece uh, that we did was looking at team salary cap situations and their rosters. And it was, this guy's going to potentially get cut. This guy can potentially get traded. So we looked at a lot of rosters and even though they weren't going to be free agents or unrestricted free agents, uh, maybe, uh, we we can get this guy if he gets cut. Let's just wait and be patient. And, or maybe I'll call this team and see if they uh, potentially would trade this guy. So you had all those different buckets. And my job was trying to marry all those buckets together to try to fill the needs, but also putting the financial piece in place as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it, the the idea of saying, hey, we have a need at a certain position and stacking up free agency versus the draft versus, you know, say, tradable assets around the league makes, makes a ton of sense. How, I, I think one of the trickier problems for teams is how do you evaluate current NFL players where you have a baseline of what they've done in the NFL? It's probably easier with data, especially to study what they're going to do going forward. Versus projecting college players, even the the best college scout is gonna is gonna miss, right? You already mentioned right. people miss, right? How do you mesh the let's call it certainty of if we go get these free agents, we'll probably have a little bit more confidence because we have an NFL baseline versus projecting players coming out of college? Yeah, when you're doing the pro, it, it's basically you pretty have a pretty good snapshot of who they are and how they line up against the uh, NFL level. College scout is, is all projecting. And so you're projecting where that guy is going to be. And we never looked at it. Like I never wanted to hear a college scout or coach tell me this guy is a first round talent or a second round talent or a third round talent. That made no sense to me because what does that mean? A first round talent, they bust too. Yeah. So we put them in the more specific categories as such as the, uh, this player, his rookie year is going to start for us day one. That was a category. Next category, may this guy may take some time, but he should be a starter in his rookie year at some point, maybe week five, six, seven. Then we put him in this guy may be a project, and he can start at some point within the first three years, but it'll help you on special teams. And then we had the, the later buckets where this guy is not going to be a starter, but he should be a solid backup that you can win some games with. 
Uh, he should help you on special teams. So we try to put him in buckets like that instead of saying, okay, this guy's a first-round talent, second-round talent, third-round talent. That doesn't mean anything. I wanted to specifically know when are you predicting this guy's going to come in and be an impact or be a starter for us or be a backup for us. So you can kind of, if you think a guy's going to be a starter in year two, you're weighing that against a guy that you could sign in the NFL that's going to start year one, obviously, and year two and beyond and just kind of balancing that equation kind of, right? Yeah, you're doing that, but hopefully, you know, uh, and then sometimes you get surprises like uh, I think, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs, for example, was a fifth-round draft pick and you know he ended up being you know a number one receiver right so that's that, a huge you win. know you don't yeah. anticipate that yeah you don't anticipate you know daniel hunter who we got in the third round that what an impact he's going to make you know we thought because him coming out of lsu he had maybe a, a didn't have a lot of production but you saw all the physical tools there that the coaches could work with and you know, you're relying on your coaching staff, too, on how quickly they can develop these guys. You know, they have to have the physical traits and the physical ability to play. But how quickly can our coaches get them on the field? Because sometimes these guys are forced in to play just because of injuries before they're ready, too. You don't right. live in a, a ultimate, you know, world of, hey, I'm going to sit this guy for a year and then he'll be ready next year. Sometimes they got to get ready to go. Um, but we really try to hone in on guys that have some unique physical traits that also met all the other criteria that we put in place. And those are the guys that we usually had the, uh, a pretty good hit rate on those guys. The guys where I missed the most was when you fell in love with some of the athletic traits, but we labeled them as underachievers. Yeah. Uh, and we had a way to identify that. And so those are the guys that we kind of missed on that were had more than enough physical ability, but they were underachievers because whether they did love playing the game, they were, you know, just relying on their athletic ability, but they never reached where the level that they probably should have been at for whatever reason. Is one of the questions I always have is when you're evaluating draft prospects, is there a way to almost say like, our draft rate is based off a percentage, this percentage of production, this percentage is measurable, this percentage is all the other, uh, you know, psych testing and off field and what the coaches say. Like, is there a way to break down the percentages that go into that? Or where does, when you, when you stamp that final grade on a college player, how much of all that information is there? Is there a way to break down? Uh, uh, how that's like, broken up. Which you weigh, weigh in the most? Yeah. yeah. Like we love this guy's measurables, but like you said, if he doesn't have the production, that's going to crush his grade, but how much? You know what I mean? Or, right. or just like a well, good senior bowl week. We, how does that move a guy? Whatever it might be. Yeah. we Our analytics department did an incredible job on uh, weighting uh, specific areas and the psychological testing, weighting specific areas and the, and the medical side of it. Uh, and the intelligence side of it. So as we evolved over the last five or six years from an analytics standpoint, first of all, we, we didn't want to touch anything but just put a pure film grade up there and put them in a category you thought based on what they were as film grade guys. Because right. you always, ultimately, you got to judge what they are as football players or not. When all the other ancillary tools that we use to make decisions, it was weighted based on position so uh, to give you an example, for uh, a left tackle, 
we may have really liked the guy, but analytics would come in. And after the combine, you know, his arm measurement was less than 33 inches long and he ran a 5.25 or slower 40. Well, analytics said there's been seven guys with those measurements that came in and were drafted in the first three rounds and none of them end up being starters or being significant players in the league. Right. So that would throw a red flag up for me and for us as we went through that decision process. So we use those as we had them up in our categories on the draft board. We use a lot of that as tiebreakers, I guess. Uh, some guys, we had a, a dump box at the bottom of each category. So if there was something that was a major concern for us, then we would pull them out of the cleaner guys and put them in a, in a box. To say if he's still there, maybe in the later rounds, then we take a swing at him. Yeah. And then there's, you know, you're not even adding in yet the character side of it, all the uh, security background checks that you did. Uh, and what we found was that if they had a medical red alert, what we called, and a and a character alert, and a lot of that was discussed when we were in the group setting. If they got two of those red flags we would take them off our draft board because analytics came back and did a study over the last 15 years, how we graded them medically. And, and again, that's a subjective subjective sure. grade because every team's doctors grade differently. And character, if we put them as a red flag character guy, if that two combination, there was 0% chance of that guy ever playing to his grade where we had him on our draft board. And that held up over the last 15 years. Wow. So do you run that study across the league too? I mean, do you ever have a guy off the draft board and he goes 15th overall or something like that? And, and then he, you know, whatever he becomes, he becomes, is that all? So you're studying the entire league based that, off of your. That's, that's the entire league over the last 15 years, how we graded them. Coming I gotcha. Out. Okay. So, so he may have gotten drafted at 15th overall pick, uh, but maybe they didn't have the same red flags we had on that player. Sure. But we took how we looked at it, how we graded them, and then where they ended up in that 15-year span. And when we graded them with the two red flags, we actually had a red card on them, and they were red meant dead to us. So if they were red, they were dead. And regardless, if we had them in the first round, we didn't even take them as a, as a free agent. So on average, how, how many players are you bringing into the draft on your draft board? I mean, I, I've heard as low as 75. I've heard, you know, some people go up to 300 plus. I think most people land in the middle. How many people are you bringing in? And then how often are you just seeing guys drafted that just aren't, off, that aren't on your board for whatever reason? Every board is different. Uh, I would say we averaged about 150 on our front board or our board that we felt were draftable. And then probably down to anywhere between 110 and maybe 120 on guys that we deemed as Viking fit, uh, not only from all, you know the character stuff, uh, everything else, but also from the schematic fit. So we ended up 150 up front, maybe 110 that we deemed as a true Viking fit and checked every box that we needed to get checked. And then on our backboard, we probably had 700 names on the back. And one of the things I thought that we did a great job with in our analytics department did was not only you're trying to concentrate on that front board, but I think you really got to hone in on that backboard as well. And when you have that many names, you may only have one scout and one grade on that player. 
But what analytics would do would run all those players through the algorithms once we had all their measurables and their testing or whatever numbers that we were able to get on those guys. And they would take, they would eliminate 650 of those guys. Okay. There's no chance it's a, it's less than a, a, a whatever percent chance of them ever even making a practice squad. So those guys would be totally pushed out. And then they would elevate maybe three or four, sometimes five or six in a position that they felt that even though we had such a low grade on them, that they pinged, we called them pings, and they would ping and move up. So we made sure that we had a couple more looks at them before the draft. And we were able to find some pretty good, like Adam Thielen, who wasn't signed after the draft. Uh, CJ Ham, our starting fullback, uh, was a guy that wasn't signed. He was a trial guy that came in after the draft. Uh, Marcus Sherrill's out of Minnesota, who was a little Nick corner, but he, I think he still holds the all-time punt return yardage record for the Minnesota Vikings, wasn't signed after the draft. So it really helped us to bring those guys to the forefront so we knew on guys that potentially could have a chance or that we wanted to sign, uh, they were separated from the rest of the guys that couldn't play. Did, did you find any trends with some of the late round gems or undrafted gems? Is it, is it athleticism? Is it production? It, there, there is, it, it's a multitude of things. And again, it went by position. So it, it was amazing without getting into too much detail. Yeah, You got to give away all the secrets here, Rick. You don't, you're, you're, not, you're not anywhere next year, right? I, no, you got to save I them for the future. I know. all ki- kinds of charts here yeah. on all kinds of stuff on how, what position was weighted the most. Yeah. So, when I saw a PFF grade, I go, well, man, they must have thought our guys saying that's in them. They weighted it a lot differently than the PFF guy graded them. <laughs> did did we ever, were we ever right over your scouts? Did we ever get it right? Uh, I don't know what's right. What do you deem right? If, if you grade a guy as a backup or a good special teamer and you draft him in the sixth seventh round and he makes your team he doesn't become a starter to me that was a hit because he's helping you win ball games in his uh in his strength as a football player that's probably on special teams so it depends on what you deem as a hit and a miss yeah, I think the key with using PFF grade is understanding what it is and that it is a production grade and that it is based off of the hundreds, thousands of snaps that a player played and then figuring out how to use that within, you know, it is it is essentially a film grade. You know, it is based off of film and how well we see a guy playing football and just understanding how to use that properly in the, in the context of what you're trying to do. Yeah, and, and that's important. But the thing that probably teams that I know we had, we had so much more information to try to oh, yeah. come up with a final decision, whether it was, like I said, something we pulled up in his background check that's that no one will ever know. Right. Uh, or something we pulled out of an interview that no one will ever know. But that that sometimes either made a player or broke a player based on uh, on, on those those type of inf- that type of information that we were able to get. How, how did you guys handle positional value, uh, particularly in the draft? I think it's easier to handle it when it comes to free agency because there's a market, there's a dollars and cents that you're attaching to a receiver versus a tackle versus a running back. But uh, in the draft, you know, the, uh, the analytics nerds would tell you, never draft a running back in the first round, right? You know, running back okay. value is low or whatever it is. How do you guys, how did you handle that? What are your thoughts on just positional value, maybe running backs in particular? 
I, I think it has some value, but again, if that was the case, we would never have drafted Adrian Peterson. Sure. And, and Adrian Peterson is going to be in the Hall of Fame. So um, I think you, you take that, again, as another piece of information. But if there's such a generational talent, I guess, how can you not take that player? Uh, a lot of it, too, is based off the, 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 the schemes that you run. Right. So, for example, if we were a lot of, for your listeners, we ran a lot of two tight end sets or a lot of base where we had a tight end and a fullback and only two receivers uh, because, you know, the philosophy on our offense was to run the ball. So we put maybe a little bit more of a premium on a running back than another team that's going to be in three wide receivers all the time or spread out and throwing the ball a lot more. So I think a lot of that – is based off of of what your scheme is. Uh, one of the things that I really found interesting, and we did a study on this as well, is that if you have four guys on offense and on the defensive side of the ball, let's call them, you know, kind of like top of top of their position, maybe Pro Bowl type players, and then two of the guys are what we call backup type guys that I was talking about earlier can maybe win five or six games or that are going to get exposed. So how we graded, and if you looked at it over the last 20 years of Super Bowl winners, they always had four blues on each side of the ball or four kind of Pro Bowl type. And then they hid two purples or what we call backup type players. Hmm. So I would ask the coaches, where would you hide? What positions will you want your blues or you want your pro bowlers at? Because you can only have four on each side of the ball. Now, we'll try to draft our rear ends off to try to get you as many as we can. Right. But that's all we can afford. So on defense, is it a pass rusher? Is it a corner? Is it a safety? Is it a, a you know three-down linebacker? Is it a under tackle like a, they, they can rush the passer? So I kind of gave that to the coaches. And you tell us, where you want to put our blues and where do you want in our pro bowl type monies and then where can we hide some economic guys that won't have an effect on whether we win or lose games so that, that's interesting so how how would you bring that philosophy into the draft so let's let's say it's guard let's say that you you think guard value is much lower generally than say tackles and pass rushers and the whole thing when you're putting your draft board together so like a quentin nelson and maybe a generational talent's not the best, but a Quentin Nelson's a generational talent. Right. Would you take Quentin Nelson generational talent at maybe a lower value position versus maybe the third pass rusher on your board or the third corner or the third whatever position you valued higher? Would it, and, and where does that show up? Is that showing up in your draft board? Is it showing up it's, in your horizontal board? Like, where are you making that decision? It's in the horizontal board. Yeah. Never, we never do a vertical board because okay. I, you know, just uh, go down a, a side rabbit hole here for a second. That's what we want. Yes, do it. <laughs> when you have a vertical board, and I've worked in a lot of systems over 31 years, um, and I never believed in a vertical board because you could have a player at number 10 and a player at number 18, and they're the same player, the same talent level at their position but when you look at it vertically it looks like well and i've had owners why you don't take the 10th guy when you got <laughs> right. the 18th guy there right but when you put it horizontally in the categories that we had then it gave us the ability to say okay all these guys quarterback running back 
receiver all the way down the vertical board by position, these guys are all equal in ability. So now we can take a need where we never did. And to your point, if Quentin Nelson's at the top of our board and the next best pass rusher is a category or two below, you're not going to go down and reach for that just because he's never going to be the same player. At least you're projecting he won't have the same impact, even though it's a guard like a Quentin Nelson. So we always stayed within the category and then we may make that type of decision, but we never went below to another a category below or a category below that, because to me, that's what we call it a reach. And we, we try to stay truly disciplined and not reach. Did you ever reach? Oh yeah, I, re- I, I, yeah. I, I I've learned from some reaches. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody gets hyped up on something and yeah, and I've made mistakes. And if we did make a mistake, if we reached down to a different category, one, that tells you that you did not stay disciplined to your board. And two, if we missed on a player, I always believed in what I learned from the, uh, a lot of my special ops guys in the military was called an after action review. Mm-hmm. So let's go back and let's look at why we missed on that player. Was it something we missed on the film or was it something we missed in the, the, athletic numbers was it something we missed in the psychological numbers was it something we list in the the intelligence numbers so we always assess if we miss why we miss so we don't try to make that same mistake again that that's what that's an interesting thing for me when i think about it too do you ever look back at your misses and just say it's it's legitimately just an outlier like our process is good we're fine. We'll keep the same process. However, this just, it didn't hit because it's an outlier because nobody's, no process is going to be 100%. No, but what we did was try to make sure that process kept getting refined every year. Yeah. So we now, you had your, just like everything else, I believe, you have your base building blocks and everything that you do, but you have to keep evolving every year. So every year we would tweak something or do something system or, something to our system to try to make it better. You know, I, I can give an example of a miss that I had. I'll, I'll leave the, the uh, player's name out of it just to protect the innocent. But I always thought intelligence was a major, major factor. And so um, we went through the process. We interviewed a lot of these players. And what we do a lot of times during that process is when the coaches are up there installing an offense or a defense, uh, we give the players a notepad and let him take notes while the coach is installing uh, during our interview process. And then what we wanted to do was look at the notes, one, to see how copious his notes were, if he understood what the coach was installing on the board. Uh, but two, right after that, we would have them go up and install it. So they could take their notes up and we wanted to hear them regurgitate what the coach had just talked about and how quickly they picked that up and can they tra- can they put it up on a board. I was with one player uh, who was off the charts intelligent, smartest player I've ever been around. And we were going through this process with him. He did not take a note the whole time. And after the coach did a 20 minute presentation and installation on the board, uh, this player went up there and did it better than a coach without a note. He had a photographic memory. So I said, this guy is as smart and he's he's gotta be a for sure fire thing. Where I missed was, and when we went back and reassessed 
why we missed on that player was there's a difference between intelligence and then there's a difference between intelligence and mental quickness. Mm. So he can do that process in 20 minutes and sound better than a head coach, but he can he do it in that split second when you have to make those split second type decisions on the field. And that's where he failed. And that's where we missed. So we developed the test, not only from the intelligence side, but also evolved into a mental quickness type score too. So we can compare the two and put them together. Did you start to see success with that then and start yes. to see that translating? Okay. Yes. I mean, that's Again, all. When people use times, the name. I go, think, go yeah, a lot of times I think if you make mistakes, uh, sometimes I always looked at it as, you know, you don't want to beat yourself up too bad. It's a learning thing. And then how do you grow from that mistake? And it made us better if we did make mistakes to grow and try not make those same mistakes again. When when people use the umbrella term analytics, I mean, it's all of this falls in line with that, right? All you're doing is collecting data to use, right? Here's here's all the information that we've had throughout the years, and here's the stuff that points to success, and here's the stuff that doesn't, right? And just continuing it, to refine that. It's it's just a mass data of numbers because yeah. we have numbers on everything, right? But how do you use that to your competitive advantage? And I I was smart enough to hire people a lot smarter than me that understand that and if you can give them this is ultimately what we're looking for i don't care if you go in the corner and stand on your head and spit wood nickels all day if that's how we have success and that's your method of getting to where i want to go and that's how you make all your algorithms then more power to you but we got to the point it uh even to going into last year is that we were almost to the point of cloning players so when we were talking about them in meetings that, and when we get, when we finalize with all their their grades, their measurables, their intelligence tests, their psychological tests, every their medical score, everything that we had, because they had done so much work and back tested so much of the data that they were able to now say, okay, this player is a clone of X, Y, and Z that came out eight years ago, five years ago, three years ago. So here's a here's a weird question. Who who owns because that's fascinating the idea of cloning I mean and that's and that's just helping you paint a picture of you know this guy looks like that player right and right based off all this information who owns that information you know is that like it's stuck in the Viking system forever yes. because that's their work can you do you have access to it is this is this no. like stealing government no, that's secrets all proprietary it is because the Minnesota Vikings are paying our salaries yeah. and. That's their job as an employee to develop that stuff, but that's the property of the Minnesota Vikings. So Quasi's just sitting there with all your cloning information and everything, and he can use that if he I'm wants. I'm sure Quasi is pretty, pretty, pretty efficient at that part of, uh, of, of at that part of the job, and, and knows a lot more probably than I knew from the analytics side. I don't want to get you arrested or anything, but like, how much of that can you actually take? And st- like, when you go, you get another job coming up you just have to start that process from scratch or you've got you know printed Either that information. Or you hire the people who developed hire, it hire the same people <laughs> there you go or get pffiq we'll do the we'll do the cloning for you for but probably for uh for all 32 teams i i just love i mean the team building discussion and the idea of you're you're not the only person you know involved in this process and how you pull all that together i think it's fascinating to me and to all of our listeners uh, one of my questions though is when you're sitting in that seat as the general manager um, I picture all of this stuff, right? You're sitting there every day, like looking at your depth chart, like how do I get better? 
but how much of the job is just other stuff, right? You talked about you got to you have to manage up to ownership, you have to manage laterally to coaches, you got to deal with players. Um, I've heard you talk a little bit about mental health stuff and other just you have you're running the entire organization, right? So how much is the team building effort and how much is just everything else? I, I would say my job evolved in the general manager's general manager, and again, it depends on the structure in the organization too. But where I was, I would say about maybe seventy five percent of my job was handling other things, and twenty five percent came to the personnel side and the team building. Yeah, um, and I was very fortunate to have George Payton next to me uh, through 20 some years that we worked together and we, you know, I didn't even have to look at him and he didn't have to look at me and we already knew what we were thinking because we've been together so long, but that freed me up to do a lot of, a lot of other things because you're handling things coming out of the sports science, the, the training room, the equipment room, the video room, um, you're handling interns. Uh, you know, I had a lot of, I, I made sure that I spent a lot of time and people I don't know realize this was, our Vikings Entertainment Network and everything that went out on the website to make sure I approved everything that went out that was related to football because you don't want to give anyone a competitive advantage by them showing something that uh, may not. It's um, handling press conferences and listening to press conferences and uh, handling crisis management to you know, working uh, across the aisle to the to the business side and how do you bridge the business and football together? I didn't run the business side of it, but, you know, for example, if you have a player uh, that you have on your roster and let's say you have a player that gets a DUI or something like that or you have to deal with something off the field with that player, how does that affect the sponsorship deals? How does that affect their contract? Can they potentially pull out of a deal that, is with the business side with the Minnesota Vikings on their sponsorship or partnership uh, if there is a player or something that happens that they all want to be associated with. So you're doing a lot of different uh, balancing act things too. And sometimes you have to understand, which is, is tough, is that you want to put the best and most competitive team on the field every year. But if a player has an off-field incident that may affect, okay, you know, millions of dollars or, or a sponsorship deal going out the door because of what this player did off the field, uh, you, you that that may weigh into your decision as well. So it, it is crazy. I don't think people realize all of that, like everything that goes into the job, because we only we only judge you by the moves we see here, Rick. You know, oh, yeah. we, we can only judge you yeah. by your draft picks and your free agent moves and all that stuff. Uh, we were joking on this show a few a few months back when Kyler Murray deleted all of his Arizona Cardinals Instagram stuff. What does that process look like? I mean, did did the social media director have to go to Steve Kime and say, hey, look, Kyler, Kyler deleted all of his Arizona Cardinals mentions. How are we going to respond on Instagram? You know, I mean, right. I know you're, a, you're a, an emerging TikTok star and everything. We'll, we'll push your TikTok <laughs> soon. But, like, what is that conversation? Like, you got to talk to your social media director on how to respond on Instagram? Well, yeah, that's all part of the process. And, again, that may be something, and I don't know how Arizona does it, but we would get together and we'd get with our PR, our, our consulting PR uh, people outside the building. How are we going to respond to this? And what's the, my thought was always, you want to minimize everything. You don't want to ever add fuel to it. So how, I'm not talking about the football piece right now because that's that's part two. Right. But part one is how do we minimize this? So 
it's not showing up in the media day in and day out. So a lot of the things that I had to deal with were, you know, if it was a crisis management situation or, or, or anything like that, how are we going to sp- respond from a media standpoint that's going to bring down the level of anxiety that is created out there by the media? And then two is the next point is, okay, I have a player that, okay, I better call that agent right now and I better talk to that player and let's work on bridging what we need to work on bridging on the football side, but also how are we handling this from a PR side? Yeah, handling the media, the other aspect of the job, right? Given, not giving away too much, but smoothing over situations and all that. It's, all, it's, a, it's a whole thing. Um, if, some, if I ever wrote a book, some, tell all books someday, some of the situations that I had to deal with, you, you just wouldn't believe. Oh, I, I can imagine. I, I want to pivot a little bit to uh, last year's draft, your last draft in, in Minnesota. Um, I believe you talked about, or it was rumored at least, that you guys were potentially in on Justin Fields. Is that right? Like considering trading up for Justin Fields? Is that right? Yeah, we, we consider everything. Yeah. So, I, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation that goes on out there and a lot of things that hey, just because we, you know, show interest in a player, all of a sudden the agent knows that, hey, they're really talking to them and, hey, they, you know. So there's a lot of things that are reported outside, but to be, truth be told, that we're doing that with everybody. Right. You know, uh, um, because I always felt that you never know, even three, four, five years down the road, if you don't do all your homework up front and talk to the agent, do everything like you're going to draft that player. So you have that in your database. What happens three years or four years you trade for that player or that player becomes uh, an unrestricted free agent. So we, we always looked at it and I always took the philosophy is like, you don't have a football team. So let's just make sure, especially through the draft process that we do everything like we are going to draft this player. So we have, as much information as as we can to accumulate on this player so we have that in our database because things change in a heartbeat in this league and if you didn't do your homework on the front end then you're scrambling on the back end what uh with you guys having kirk cousins at quarterback what are you still scouring the entire landscape right i mean unless you have Unless you have Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen at this point, I assume well, everybody's scouring the entire landscape saying, are there potential upgrades here and what would that path be? Or are there potential slight downgrades who happen to be cheaper? Like, what does that whole process look like? Or are you just all, we've committed to Kirk and we're going to build around him? And, you know, again, it depends on which year we're talking about here too, I'm assuming. Yeah, you're, you're depending on what year and you know, you know, well, it's Kirk or Adrian Peterson, but you still want to do your due diligence on everything, yeah. you know? Because if you don't, you know, we went through, um, going, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater situation, you know, eight days before we open up and Teddy's going into his third year and coming off of two pretty impressive years. And usually the third year is when the quarterback really takes it to the next level. And to see his knee explode the way it did on the yeah. practice field, it was devastating. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, is I don't want to say is chummy, but everybody there's only 32 GMs, so everybody has everybody has respect for each other and the jobs that we all have to do, and everybody technically pretty much gets along with everybody where you call and you talk, and 
you know, but it was funny when I was trying to call around scrambling because we had a, a, a really good, we were coming off a playoff and we were having, we have a really good team, I thought, to give us a chance. So when you lose your starting quarterback like that, I made a ton of calls in our and George and our and our and our pro department on who is actually going to be available with eight days before the regular season. And GMs are as competitive as as players and coaches as the first quest. Most of them said, boy, that's just a shame on what happened with Teddy. I just feel real bad for you. By the way, if you want this player, it's going to cost you X. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, right. <laughs> it would have cost me X six months ago, but it's going to cost me X now. Uh, supply and demand, as it said. So that's when we, you know, got really aggressive to try out and, and go get us that Sam Bradford. And that's why we made that Sam Bradford trade as, as much as it cost us. But, and then Sam played lights out that opener and played very well. And uh, we opened the U.S. Bank Stadium, I believe it was against the uh, Green Bay Packers. And, it's one of the best games then, he's ever played. Yeah, and then he blew his knee. And then the rest was history yeah. when uh, Case Keenum came in and kind of had a magical year. Yeah, the 20, 000, uh, 2017 season going to the uh, to the NFC Championship. Uh, uh, let me wrap up that part with this, and then I want to talk about this year's draft a little bit. What goes into the decision then to go get Kirk Cousins after the 2017 season? You feel like you're close and – um, any other quarterbacks that were considered that offseason? Yeah, we talked, like I said, we went through our process. It was a unique situation. We felt uh, Zim had just hired John Filippo coming in as the offensive coordinator. And, you know, he's played against them twice a year, even though he was uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And we felt that we, we had, I believe, maybe a top two or three defense coming out of that NFC championship year where we got beat in Philly. We didn't play well, that, well enough that game. Um, but if we can add a Kirk Cousins to that, because there's no question about Kirk's accuracy, his ability to throw. Um, and even as he's had some, you know, everybody gets on a little bit about, you know, it, he, his stats are incredible, but it was the win and losing of games. And even if you looked at our season last year, how many games have we uh, been in a position to win? And if you look at some of the things that he did, I mean, he had some great victories. We went down and beat New Orleans uh, in New Orleans in the uh, wild card game, uh, you know, a couple years ago. And so I think he had gotten better uh, with it. But then our defense, you know, whether it was a lot of it was we just didn't play to the same level we were playing with uh, that we were playing back in 2017. And we had injuries on defense and some personnel issues as well. But that everybody has those issues, so that's not an excuse by any means. It's just, um, but it'd be interesting to see how he progresses with uh, with the new new regime up there, uh, because I don't have a question about his ability. It was just the biggest factor was always with him. Uh, can he win close games or in big situations? But go through and look at all the games that we that we played in last year. I mean, the opener where we lost in overtime. Cincinnati is it kind of he got us down there in field goal range and Delvin Cook fumbled the ball yeah or you know we go down and he takes us down and we win in overtime in Carolina um or you know it takes us down there to take a lead with a minute some left in Detroit and then Detroit goes back down and beats us uh at the end so no excuses or anything we we our record was what it was but there are a lot of situations too where and it is the general manager the head coach and the quarterback are going to get blamed regardless of what the circumstances are and your record is what it is 
Cousins is one of the most fascinating quarterbacks, though, because I, I do think those moments you were describing were definitely lacking early in his career, right? I mean, but as far as comeback opportunities and winning big games for, for whatever that's worth, but it seems like he's been better in those situations lately. And um, I, I do think historically maybe evaluators have focused too much on win-loss records sometimes, right? Because we know the quarterback's not the only driver in that, but at the same time... Right. Tom Brady, is it unfair to compare people to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers? They always do seem to to come out on top. So how do you balance that too, right? You've got quarterback, a quarterback who's very good, but is is there something missing in Cousins when it comes to win-loss record that, that just keeps him from that top echelon of quarterbacks? Well, that's where you'd go and delve into what – why are we why why is his record win loss you know then the other question you got to ask yourself well not him then who right uh, who you going to re- and that's yeah. not easy to replace either because how many quarterbacks are in this league that you truly say that that guy is a true franchise quarterback do you, do and, you think that landscape has changed over the years because i i have a theory that 10 years ago it was tough to find even a guy a top 32 quarterback say even just tough to find a starter I think finding a guy that you're willing to start is easier now, but of course there's still a difference between the top 10 quarterbacks, the top eight quarterbacks, and then the, the next but 20. It, yeah. Are you, do you fear that quarterback when you have to play him on that, uh, on game day? Is that quarterback the difference maker for that football team? That's kind of how I even judge the college kids when you're sitting there and evaluating uh, college kids coming out, you, you, you go through everything that we had talked about earlier in this program. But in the end, did he and his performance elevate that team and take him to a, a level where they played beyond maybe what their what their talent was? What um how many of those guys exist in the NFL at any given time? Boy. Well, it's amazing because I think our game has evolved and changed. And you're seeing a lot more of these quarterbacks that are coming up from college and you're seeing teams adapting to their skill set and then they're having success I mean if you look we can talk about Patrick Mahomes uh, you know Kansas City did a great job identifying but most of the experts out there had him probably as a late first second round type talent because of the way he played at Texas Tech where where did the Vikings have Patrick Mahomes late first we 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 he was one of our interviewers uh we did interview him at the combine but at the time i believe we had teddy uh so that wasn't a a big huge need for us but we did spend time to to make sure we did the due diligence on him but there was concerns i mean there was no question about his physical talent but the inconsistencies and then he got into a system got a chance to sit for a year which i think you know every time you draft a quarterback everybody wants that instant success and these guys take time to evolve i mean look how long it took josh allen to be josh allen yep he wasn't that his rookie year uh mahomes sat his rookie year and look how it's progressed so you know very rarely does a quarterback you know truly come in and heck you can go back to ben roethlisberger's first year you know they had great defense they ran the ball and he made enough plays for them to win games. And then he became, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Do you think there's a trend recently with some of the, we'll call them toolsier quarterbacks just hitting, whether it's a Mahomes, a Josh Allen, a Justin Herbert? Because I think there was definitely a lull in those types of quarterbacks, right? Like 
Brett Favre was 30 years ago, you know. There weren't a whole lot of quarterbacks who became more accurate, you know, put those tools into action recently. Is that an NFL trend? Is it just the way things are going right now? I, I think it's a trend of, of how the NFL's adapted because most of these guys can use their legs to make plays too. So defenses not only have to account for their arm talent, but they also have to account for them uh, and their ability to keep the chains moving with their legs. And I think you're seeing a lot more of these offenses are tailored to not so much the, I don't want to call them old school pocket passers, uh, but guys that actually have enough physical ability that, that they can rely if something breaks down, they're still going to be able to make plays with their feet. All right, I want to talk a little bit about this year's draft, and we'll, we'll let you go. appreciate you being on here. Rick Spielman, former Minnesota Vikings general manager for several years. Uh, coming out of – so you were analyzing the draft. A little more than several. But <laughs> how, many, how many was it total? 16 there. 16. 10, with a, 10 in the, in the uh, seat. That's why I just went with several because I knew it was, it was a bunch. <laughs> um, what was it like watching the draft, covering a little bit for CBS this year, and just kind of having a, a slightly different perspective? And then I want to get into some of the teams where you maybe liked what they did. Yeah, no, it was interesting because you got the you you, you when you're in in the draft and you're working for a team and you're calling the shots, you're you're so focused on your team. And then when I got an opportunity Thursday night, I did uh, Fox Radio with Jay Glazer and Rob Stone and Lavar Arrington, and we talked through the uh, first round. And then I did the, about twelve shows with the CBS for the rest of the weekend. Uh, but you really get a chance to take get a look back because I saw probably and evaluated and wrote up about 150 of these guys and had a my interpretation of where I thought. And you can see really see some of the teams and looking at it from a more of a global view, the, the GMs that really kind of stay true to their board, take best players available as they come. Don't worry about need as much, although they're trying to fill some needs, but really do a great job just from an evaluation standpoint and just believing in what they, how they develop their draft board. Were, were you surprised with Trayvon Walker going number one overall? Was that, you know, where, where would you have gone with Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, or someone else maybe at number one? Yeah, well, I think that that's a lot of the discussions that you're having in the, in the draft room. Um, you got, Hutchinson coming out, who reminded me a little bit of a Jared Allen type player, um, you know, and then you got Walker, who is just a physical freak that may be like, maybe he's the next like Daniil Hunter type guy, although it was that's, a little easier to comp. take yeah. Daniil Hunter in the third round, than the number sure. one overall pick. I don't know if I would have done that, but I'm just saying he has some really unique physical traits to work with. So those are the discussions you're having in your draft meetings uh, with the scouts, with the coaches, uh, with all the homework that you've done on him, all the testing that you've done that we've talked about earlier. And then are you, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the type of discussions, hey, this guy may not be where Hutchinson is yet, but I saw this guy, he can rush inside when they put him over the guard, they can put him out on the edge. Most of his production came when he was rushing uh, inside over a guard and just was a better athlete than him. But we can polish him up as an edge rusher because of the arm length, because of the, the speed, the size. And if we can get his technique down and he has the passion and the willingness to be coached to be great, 
that we can hit on some a home run here. Uh, and then Hutchinson, you know what you're going to get right when he walks in the door. He's going to be a tone setter for your defense. He may not be as athletic as Walker, but I think he's going to have a very productive career as well. He may be, as he tapped, you know, the, the questions I'm sure that we're going, is he tapped out? Or how big is his ceiling or how much better he can get? And I think all these guys can get better. But maybe Jacksonville's decision was we're going to go with a guy that we think has a higher higher ceiling. That, that's why I was I, when I asked you earlier on like what is what's the breakdown on what goes into the prospect grade? Like if you used production as say your baseline, let's say you used PFF production and said, okay, let's just see if just so I know, PFF hated Walker. Just for can, can we get to the uh, just cut to the chase? Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> he had he had production red flags. So I'm right. saying if you used our data as a baseline and then built on that, you if you started with our data, there's all it's just all red flags left and right. We just haven't seen players with that level of production go on to, you know, have NFL success. Right. And then you can make every excuse. It's the scheme, the way they use right. them and they move. That's fine. But if you used athleticism as the baseline, first off, there's no real comps for Trayvon Walker at his size and his, right. his length and his movement skills. But if you did pull up comps, you'd have a Hunter. You'd have a Vaughn Miller, maybe. You'd have a Jason Pierre-Paul, right? And, and then you would say all of those were hits. And if that's your baseline, and then you say, okay, all of these guys are hits. We feel good about Walker. That's what's just fascinating to me about this process is where you're weighing those things in, to come to that final decision. Let, let me ask you, Steve. You're sitting in the general manager's seat, and you know as much as ever. You've done as much work as we all have on these two prospects. Which direction would you have went? I would have got Aiden Hutchinson, and, and not because – I mean, I, I think he was – I think he's a tier below some of the other elite edges that came out the last few years. I don't think he's Miles Garrett or Abosa or Chase Young, but I thought he was – I think he's got the best chance for production in, at the next level, which is what we're all – like, that's the ultimate goal, right? You want a guy to produce it at the next level. So the information I had, I would have gone with Hutchinson. Um, I – I also would have loved to not have to make that pick this year <laughs> to be number one overall. I just don't. I just don't think you're getting the impact. Like the difference between pick one and pick five and pick fifteen is not that drastic if it's a non-quarterback, and it would it would have been a tough one. Well, it was a hard draft this year because really was. there there wasn't a true consensus on who was number one. Yeah. Usually, you know, is it a, a Trevor Lawrence or their quarterbacks are up there, but there was none this year. Right. So and then there wasn't the edge defense. There wasn't the guy that was, as soon as he walked onto campus, you knew he was going to be the first pick or top three pick, right? That's Garrett. That's both Boses. That's Chase Young. We've seen those. That's, you know, that's Vaughn Miller, essentially. We, we didn't have those guys either. So. No. There was no. But it'll be inter interesting to track this now between the success rate of the number one overall pick and maybe all the way down to seven or eight. And For sure. Was there a difference between, and maybe it was just a bad year to have the number one overall pick, where if you're going to have a, a, a not a very good successful season, you know, that's the reward. You get the number one overall pick. But maybe that wasn't the reward this year. That was 2013. Maybe it was. That'll be. It's yet to be determined. Right. I mean, and of course, it's all. It's all a bit of a guessing game. I mean, I'm of the mind that of of any player that I want to get in the first round, it'd be AJ Brown. I think the uh -huh. Eagles getting AJ Brown, he has the biggest impact, and you got to pay him a lot of money for that impact. But I don't think any team got a bigger impact player than 
what the Eagles got in AJ Brown. That's just my feeling on it. Oh, you disagree. <laughs> you traded so you traded a true wide receiver one and Stephon Diggs and then replaced him with Justin Jefferson. How much um did you were you targeting a receiver to replace him? Is that just how the board fell? Uh, I'm just of the mind that that the true wide receiver one has a massive impact in today's NFL. It does. And and to be honest with you, we were very fortunate that you know, we made that trade uh, and was able to replace him with a Justin Jefferson. Sure. And we just got, we were fortunate the board fell our way, especially where we got Justin, I believe, at, at 20 or 21, wherever we were picking that year. Um, but that's sometimes this is, you can do all the, the, the film evaluation, the analytics, everything that we talk about, and it's still, you're at the mercy a little bit of how the board truly falls to you as well. Yeah, speaking of the Eagles and receivers, they took Jalen Rager right ahead. We've all seen the video, Rick. You guys were very excited. No, just just happy that we got a good player. That you got your guy. Any other drafts? Uh, who did you like this year? Any teams that, that drafted well, process-wise, player-wise? What what did you like uh, this year so far, uh, coming out of the draft? Well, since you're already – I thought – I do agree with – I thought Howie did a tremendous job, and I uh, know Howie very well um, in the – since we've done a lot of deals together over the years. Uh, but the thing that was fascinating to me that happened this year that I don't ever remember recall happening was veteran players getting traded on, on Thursday night. Yeah. Because I can't, you, you have your analytics department go back and look and see when's the last time there were trades like that made. So what that told me was that it was kept very under the radar. No one in the media had any sniff of this going on, but there had to be a lot of pre-work done uh, because you're not going to give away your number one pick without getting a physical on the receiver. Uh, and a lot of times when teams do do trades, it's predicated on that player passing a physical. So I'm assuming that all this was done because when you write language in a trade, uh, and we're trading with team B and uh, we get team B's player uh, and we give him a first round draft pick. Well, you don't, they don't get that first round draft pick till he comes in and passes a physical and then the league signs off and it off on it. And that takes a couple of days. So I'm assuming there was a lot of underground work going on. And then how we was able to get the four year, I believe hundred million dollar contract done on AJ yeah, well so that they, doesn't happen in 20 minutes they either. had that set right they had that <laughs> no so they had to have a lot of the parameters set in order and it was the same thing when uh, Arizona traded for Hollywood um, there had to be a lot of pre-draft a uh, agreements or uh, getting permission to do the the work you have to do in order to make those type of trades well, but I thought you know the team that really stuck out to me um that I thought just followed their board was Baltimore. Yeah, I mean to get a to get a uh, a Hamilton from Notre Dame at fourteen, and he fell probably because everybody was worried about the forty yard tie. But he plays a lot faster than that, and I thought he was an impact player. Now, you may have disagreed with me, but I thought that he, uh, as a football player, he was a pretty good football player. And I, I like saw him, him play I like live, yeah, in the Florida State game in that range. He made that one interception from the opposite hash was incredible the one thing that i did notice is if you watch the end zone copy of his 40 yard time at the indy he went like this so he almost yeah. ran 42 yards 
He was a so, bad 40 runner, I think, is what we is right. what we saw. I don't think his start was great. I'm no start expert, but I used to train for the combine as a baseball player. But uh, <laughs> I trained with NFL guys. He had he didn't have a good start, and like you said, he ran 42 yeah. yards. But he doesn't. Yeah. He takes good angles on the football field, though. Yeah, that you, you, that's where you have better be careful. And I can give you uh, numerous examples. And number one, that, that and a person, probably my best friend and the closest person in the world to me, uh, told me this too was uh, my brother Chris, because yeah. he couldn't run a forty yard and <laughs> under five flat. Now he claims he ran four eight seven, which <laughs> not on the card, not on his draft card. I had hanging up in our room every year. Um, but there was no one going to beat him to the sideline because there's a difference between, hey, numbers solidify things, but that's why we didn't put all that other ancillary uh, work uh, into our decision process until after we had what we saw them as football players first on our draft board. Uh, going but back they to did, but they but if you look and I got them right here, okay, then they go and they get the best center, and that was a huge need for them yep. in, uh, in in Linderbaum. And then they, uh, you know, come back and they're sitting there and, I, the, you know, the kid that tore his ACL from Michigan uh, is Ojabu. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, because he would have been a first-round talent. And then they come back and get a kid that really surfaced out of UConn and Jones. So they just kept taking good football player after good football player after good football player, and it was consistent. And I don't think they may have said, I thought I set some world records and trading back and accumulating picks, but they had one, two, three, four, five, six fourth round picks. <laughs> that, and yeah, a, they did. That, that, I, I agree on the Ravens there too. I mean, did you guys do studies on two, two on like where the drop-off was in the yeah, draft? Yeah, we had, uh, again, I, I don't want to give our analytics department all the credit in the world, but we had drop-offs on what buckets we would trade into. So, for example, player one through player 17 in the first round, there wasn't, if you took the average grade, their pro, what we graded them as pros, okay, they all, that's, there wasn't much difference in the average uh, grade overall. I mean, there's, you know, some blue players, but there's some purple, but if you took it, there's not a lot of difference between the first and the 17th pick. The next bucket went from 18 to 41. So, if we traded, and we traded back into that second bucket. We didn't want to go past 41 because analytics were saying, okay, you're getting the same value of player at 18 that you may be getting. And that changed every year depending sure. on the depth of the draft and who came out. So that's kind of how we determined where our buckets were and what buckets we would trade back into and how we determined whether it was a good trade or not. And you guys obviously, a lot your last draft traded down from, what, 14 to 23 to get yep. uh, Christian Darasaw picked up a couple extra picks. Uh, what about the trend around the NFL for just trading first-rounders for players, whether it's quarterbacks or receivers, giving up multiple first-rounders? feels like – I mean, it's always been a part of the game, but if this was – This teams, was, exception, this was yeah. exceptional this offseason. It's the first time that I can remember, and I don't know if, if you remember anything differently, um, where so many blue-chip or Pro Bowl-type talent move from team to team. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like – teams are really trying to hone in now on you know trying to fill specific needs and other teams are willing to move very good players um maybe because of the financial piece in place um that they have to they know they're not going to be able to play that player pay that player so maybe they move him 
and, and then get a cheaper, uh, more cost-effective player uh, on a rookie contract. It seems like it's a lot of receivers on the move too. And I, my theory is this is the biggest story in the NFL because I think Patrick Mahomes is awesome, but we haven't seen him without Tyree Kill for an extended period of time. Aaron Rodgers is awesome, but obviously we know Devontae Adams is too. Um, Ryan Tanhill's career completely turned around. Maybe it's in part because of Derrick Henry in the system in Tennessee, but also having A.J. Brown. I thought you were going to say A.J. Brown. You're such you, you got A.J. A- 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 Brown, Tennessee Titans uh, jersey underneath that PFF shirt of yours. I am. I just. I am blinded by elite receivers, man. <laughs> I, I. I think that they. I think they make the second biggest impact in the NFL behind behind quarterbacks, and I think we're going to. I could be wrong because of the way the game has changed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not only a pass-first game, but also Tyree Kill completely dictates how teams play coverage, right? And A.J. Brown single-handedly beat the Ravens a couple of years ago by breaking eight tackles. That's my guy, A.J. But I'm gonna, we're going to learn a lot about that this year, aren't we? Like, A.J. Brown's – can he elevate Jalen Hurts? And can Tyree Kill elevate Tua in that entire offense? And can Devontae Adams elevate Derek Carr? Meanwhile, the elite quarterbacks of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are – losing those guys right i think we're going to learn a lot about the impact of of those types of receivers i mean julio jones with matt ryan with and without julio jones there's some big differences historically and i i just don't think there's another position that has as big of an impact no and that will be interesting to see if those teams when they made those moves or traded those players away how strongly they felt on potential guys on their roster that may have not gotten opportunity but Part of your job is, hey, I, I think that even though this guy hasn't played this much or has really stood out, uh, this guy may evolve into a number one pick. Or, you know, they, they did something in the draft. Like, uh, I believe Tennessee went right, tried to replace A.J. Brown. They're with trying Burks. to do what you did. They're trying to do what you did with Justin <laughs> Jefferson. I mean, it, it's kind of how the board fell. But, yeah, they're, you know. Traylon Burks. I, I don't know if you can expect him to be AJ Brown, but between him and Robert Woods, this offseason trying to replace that production, which right. I think those are all fascinating decisions. Any other teams in the draft that you uh, that you liked, or you know, some of their process or players? Yeah, well, I got to give kudos to the Detroit Lions. I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about them, <laughs> you know, For Chris. because I, I thought that uh, you know Dan Campbell to me and the job that he did last year for that team with his, the probably the least amount of talent as anyone in the NFL for those guys to be as competitive as they were uh, week in and week out and, uh, and, and lose game here or there or end up beating us when we went up to Detroit uh, and we were fighting for a playoff spot at that time. But to add a Hutchinson and to make that trade to go up against to me the most explosive Tyreek Hill type talent in the draft and uh, yeah. and Jameson Williams uh, Alabama. Now I know he's coming off an ACL, but to do that, I'm going to be fascinated to see with Minnesota trading within a division and them going to get that. Uh, does that ever come back and bite Minnesota in the rear end, or was that a great trade for Minnesota because they picked up some more picks and then? Uh, you know, Williams doesn't become the player that everybody thought it was going to become. But boy, when he has a ball in his hands, that guy can run. I, I love Jameson Williams. I'm I'm blinded by speed as well, Rick. I love those speed receivers. Um, that trade is a is a it's a it is a fascinating one because I think um, 
I believe so. We have a trade chart at PFF that liked the trade for Minnesota because of the extra picks and generally more picks equal good. Um, and it kind of fits what you were saying, right? Going from twelve, but is it too big of a jump all to thirty-two? But it's it's it is into that bucket. At the same time, I believe the Jimmy Johnson chart had the the Lions winning that a lot. Which you know, are there different cha- trade charts now? floating around the NFL where teams are yeah. going to start valuing things differently and maybe both teams feel like they won the trade. Yeah, everybody's kind of using different charts. Like our chart was a little different and I remember a couple of teams and they were bit you know, they were complaining uh about geez, you guys are too stingy and you you don't ever want to do a deal and then we would try to convince them this is what our chart's saying, what your chart's saying and try to combine the two to <laughs> so there's a lot of different value charts out there now. Yeah. Um, so it all depends on what team that you're working with. And it also depends on how much a team wants to trade up to go get a player too, because the, one of the most aggressive GMs, I think, in going to get what he wants is, is Mickey Loomis. Yeah, and definitely. He, 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 regardless if they're honed in on a player or two, they'll, you know, whether it's, it's equal or they're losing on the trade chart, who cares? They want to go get that player. They're going to go get that player. Uh, so a lot of philosophies are different too with a lot of teams. So sure. I just you know you can analyze all the different trade charts and this is a great value. What who the hell if, if that guy that went up and got a Pro Bowl player, then you can take your and the uh, the team that had those extra picks and none of them panned out or just backups and who actually won the trade then? You got to look at the end result. So, so you know the people to call, right? If you're like, hey, we want to trade down, we're calling Mickey, right? I mean, you just you kind of know who's you, willing to You know to the move. people who you can get deals with done and who you can't. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, I want to I wanna wrap it up, Rick. I, you've been very gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Um, any other thoughts on to, to just put a bow on this year's draft? I know it feels like it was just a month ago. It feels like a long time ago. But uh, to put a bow on this month's draft, uh, this year's draft, and then we will tell everybody where they can find you on TikTok. Yeah, no, it, I, I mean, the draft was fascinating just by, like I said, there was no really true consensus, number one. You had trades, veteran players getting traded actually on Thursday night, which was a whole unique situation. You had all this movement. I thought the AFC West was an arms race this whole offseason. But sure. the other other division that people uh, have not talked about, have not talked a lot about and got a lot of pub, I thought the AFC East. Mm-hmm. Uh, really was an arms race as well with what Miami was able to do when it went and got Tyreek Hill and doing the things they did and the Jets who I thought, you know, knocked it out with three very good first round picks and getting aggressive to go up and get maybe the last best pass rusher before the, the tier fell off a little bit and Johnson from Florida State who actually, by the way, sat in my house, I don't know, numerous times in high school uh, up in Minnesota. Oh, wow. So I know the kid very well. Um, but it, it's always, like I said, it's, it's an opportunity to see all the hard work that went into this offseason and how many moves were made. It's just going to be a fascinating 2022 NFL season coming up. Everybody's making moves in the AFC East, and Bill Belichick and the Patriots just staying the course, just doing what they always do, right? And uh, Doing what the, the Patriots way. Yeah, that's what they do. So, all right, tell all of our listeners where they can find you on TikTok uh, an emerging star here. <laughs> it's very simple. Rick Spillman. I don't even know. <laughs> I think that's all you have to do to get on there. But 
what I'm doing right now is I've been on it and uh, breaking down each team in the division. I've done the AFC West and I'm trying to just give a little bit of a forecast of who I see is, is going to uh, win that division. You know, um, you know, my, my biggest dark horse who I think has a legit chance, you know, I think Buffalo is going to be the team to beat in the AFC uh, East, but don't count out the LA chargers. I thought Tom Telesco did a phenomenal job with the trades and how he got his team better. And then uh, the draft, I thought he did extreme. I mean, that guard, Zion Johnson, to me, was a plug-and-play guy right away. Yeah. And they hit it out of the park with Slater last year, and they got a franchise quarterback, uh, you know, that, that's going to be a potential MVP candidate this year. So um, I'm just trying to do a lot of uh, just after the dust have settled with the draft and with free agency and, and some teams uh, that I think are going to, really jump out i don't think the jets are ready yet to be the next cincinnati Bengals, but uh i think another maybe another year away before they uh, do that but that'll all depend on what happens with zach wilson because he probably struggled the most out of all the rookies was it was because of the team or because of him but if he can take a jump i think the jets are going to be a pretty interesting team as well you're an official media member now buying into the Chargers offseason hype. That is, that's oh, like, the, I, I said that months ago. That's the rite of passage. <laughs> no, I, no I, I've liked the Chargers for like the last 10 oh, years. Here and we they, go, bandwagon guys. They break your heart, though. They, with weird, weird stuff happens with the Chargers. No, I completely agree. I think, I think Telesco's doing a great job there. And uh, they were aggressive. All right. They've got Justin Herbert on the rookie deal. They've been aggressive as far as free agency trades and, and then in some good draft picks as well. So. I'm in agreement there. So follow uh, Rick on TikTok. Rick Spielman, appreciate you. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. I love these discussions, getting a little uh, inside baseball, but in football. And uh, appreciate it, man. I, I look forward to maybe doing some more podcasts, especially when a season rolls around. And I can tell you what I saw compared to what uh, you saw. But again, the only way I'm going to know what I saw is because of the PFF ultimate tool that you guys have. And again, it's an incredible product. Well, much appreciated. Always happy to help and, you know, get you to the film just a little bit quicker. <laughs> just Thank so I can argue with you on podcasts. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what that's the beauty of football, though. It's going to be great. We can always – everybody's going to have their opinion. So, appreciate you, Rick. Thanks for being All part right, of it. All right, thanks for having me on. All right, thanks to Rick for joining us again. I, I love talking team building. I know you guys like uh, listening to that and being a part of that discussion. So, um appreciate the time that that rick uh brought to the table here because we could we could talk a little bit about everything team building and uh process and all that fun stuff we'll definitely have to have him back at some point um uh, but i thought we had some uh some great insight there you know he he was very diplomatic in the trayvon walker aiden hutchinson threw it back on me to uh to give my answer on that but uh you know that's that's part of the fun and i think you learn uh in nfl buildings it is it's it's a lot of discussion it is a lot of collaboration and bringing a lot of data and insight to the table and then coming to one decision which is why i think having uh, a general manager someone who does have to parse through all that information to make that final decision i love having those discussions because there's there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes uh, as far as the general manager process goes uh, before we go though i want to remind everybody that nfl pod 
That promo code is live, 25% off any PFF subscription. When you use it, NFL Pod, all of our locked article contact, fantasy football rankings, projections coming soon, all of our gambling, betting, fun information, and, of course, the data and grades for the 2022 season will be coming up. Our archive back to 2006. So be a part of any of the PFF subscriptions for 25% off using the promo code NFL Pod. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Appreciate Rick Spielman again for joining, and we'll have Greg Rosenthal Monday morning on Memorial Day. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Monday.